experience we had the labor community strategy center as part of a terrific not even coalition but just force of of course led by black lives matter la led by students deserve a primary predominantly black organization uh, including the labor community strategy center the uh inner city struggle the united teachers of los angeles and brothers, sons, selves. The story of how we won this, which is really amazing because we did win it as a conscious political campaign. You don't just win it. You don't force people in power to do what you want. It took negotiation and it absolutely took the leadership of Monica Garcia, the board member from East Los Angeles, who's truly heroic. She introduced a motion that would cut the Los Angeles School Police Department budget, which is $70 billion in half to start with, with a 50% cut, then it would move to a 75% cut, then a 90% cut. And obviously, somewhere around 50 or 60, the, the police department would be all looking for new jobs. They would get it. They're being phased out. The week before, there had been a... Los Angeles Unified School District meeting in which there were a lot of different conflicting motions, but at different times, four different board members did vote to cut the budget by 20% or more. One set of board members was willing to cut $35 million, which is what Monica Garcia's motion was. Board member Jackie Goldberg introduced a motion in the first meeting for $20 million. We couldn't reach agreement on all those things, but fortunately, the next week, there was a budget vote. So the Los Angeles Unified School District has a budget of about $7.5 billion. And out of that, we cut, as you'll hear, $25 million, which is not a lot out of their budget, but is a heck of a lot out of the $70 million budget of the OASBD. How Channing Martinez and Eric Mann and Barbara Holland and Maria Brenes and Alex Caputo Pearl, real people, how Jackie Goldberg, Monica Garcia, Nick Melvoin, and right and Kelly Gomez, how those four people got together and finally agreed on cutting the budget by $25 million. This cut was so severe that Mr. Chamberlain, who had just come on as the head of the LASPD as their chief, resigned. We'll come back to that. It's an amazing victory. I don't use the word victory too often. But I want to give you some context of how screwed up this country is, of how white supremacy is tied to anti-communism, is tied to pro-imperialism. It's not just a white settler state. It's a white imperialist settler state. So we're going to go back to another hero who absolutely set the conditions for this struggle, which is Paul Robeson, the great singer, opera singer, athlete, lawyer, intellectual, actor, and yes, a pro-communist black man. What this country did to him is a crime almost unimaginable. We're going to hear his defiant testimony 
in front in 1949 in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee. I'm just going to give you a little frame, and then I'll talk. We'll listen to Paul, and then I'll have some other comments, and then we'll go to the great struggle to defund the Los Angeles School Police. During World War II, the United States was tolerant of communists because the Soviet Union was, in fact, the leading force in defeating Adolf Hitler. The United States had not even been active in fighting Hitler until they were pulled into the war late, more afraid of the Soviet Union than Hitler. 26 million people died in the Soviet Union. As soon as the war was over, the United States moved to the Cold War, which was really a hot war, just absolutely trying to destroy the Soviet Union after the Soviet Union destroyed Hitler. And by the way, the United States brought many Nazis into the United States to work in their so-called defense and military industries. While Paul Robeson had been lionized, as they say, meaning he was a gorgeous six foot four uh, brilliant man. And during the war, he was giving these big concerts all over the world. Uh, he was getting, you know, $50,000 for a concert or whatever the number was back then. As soon as the war was over and, the, and Paul Robeson saw that the United States was about to possibly even drop a nuclear bomb, Paul Robeson said, if the United States goes to war with the Soviet Union, the Negro people will not support it because the United States has created segregation and racism. We will not fight for the United States. Well, that is just like Muhammad Ali, the greatest crime a black man or anybody can say, I will not fight in the endless wars. So based on that, what happens in this country a lot is what's called recantation. What recantation means is somebody says something pretty controversial and then they're attacked and they say, well, that's not what I meant. No, no, I take those remarks back. I'm sorry if it offended anybody. That's recantation. As you'll see in this, Paul Robeson will not recant anything. He is very proud of the Soviet Union, very proud to be black. But if you can imagine a black man surrounded by 300 white racists carrying out as close to a lynching, I mean that. You have to see these white bread, Christian, disgusting human beings attacking the most developed black man maybe in world history or up there. It scares the heck out of me. Now, I'm a pretty courageous person that people know me. I've gone into some very difficult situations. I've been in prison. I've been in solitary confinement. But going up against this crowd and holding his ground is the greatest endorsement of black liberation, the greatest endorsement of communism, and the greatest endorsement of why today black lives matter because the United States is a white settler state and no matter what we do, it goes back to being a white settler state. I want you to hear the ferociousness of the attack on Paul Robeson and if I remind myself, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what some of the white board members said just last week about the passage of the cut in the OASPD. So picture now Paul Robeson is in front of the um, House Un-American Committee, and we have about a 13-minute clip, which is rather incredible. Thank you, Channing. Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Oh, please, please, please. Please answer, will you, Mr. Robeson? What is the Communist Party? What do you mean by that? Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Would you like Party? to come to the ballot box when I vote and take out the ballot and see? Mr. Chairman, I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question. You are directed to answer the question. I invoke the Fifth Amendment and forget it. I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question whether... 
If he gave us a truthful answer, he would be supplying information which might be used against him in a criminal proceeding. You are directed to answer, Mr. Robson. In the first place, wherever I've been in the world, the first to die in the struggle against fascism were the communists. I laid many wreaths upon the graves of communists. That is not criminal. Chief Justice Warren has been very clear that the Fifth Amendment does not have anything to do with the influence of criminality, and I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Have you ever been known under the name of John Thomas? Oh, please, does somebody here want me to put up a perjury someplace? John Thomas, my name is Paul Robeson, and anything I have to say, I have said in public all over the world, and that is why I'm here today. Mr. Chairman, I ask that you direct the witness to answer the question he's making a speech. I ask you to affirm or deny the fact that your Communist Party name was I John Thomas. I the Fifth Amendment. This is really ridiculous. The witness talks very loud when he makes a speech, but when he invokes the Fifth Amendment, I can't hear him. I have medals for diction. Right. I can talk plenty loud. Will you talk a little louder? I invoke the Fifth Amendment loudly. Sir, who are Mr. and Mrs. Vladimir I McKeever? invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Manning Johnson? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know Gregory Kaifitz? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Max Jurgen? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Max Jurgen. Why don't you have those people here to be cross-examined? Could I ask whether this is legal? This is not only legal, but usual. By unanimous vote, this committee has been instructed to perform this very distasteful task. To whom am I talking? You're speaking to the chairman of the committee. Mr. Walter? Yes. The Pennsylvania Walter? That is right. Representative of the steel workers? That is right. And the coal mining workers? That is right. Not United States steel, by any chance. A great patriot. That is right. You are the author of the bills that are going to keep all kinds of decent people out of the country. No, only your kind. Colored people like myself? And you would let in the Teutonic Anglo-Saxon stock. We are trying to make it easier to get rid of your kind, too. You don't want any colored people to come in. Could I be allowed to read from my statement? Will you just tell this committee, please, while under oath, Mr. Robeson, the communists who participated in the preparation of that statement? Oh, please. The reason I'm here today, from the mouth of the State Department itself, is... I should not be allowed to travel because I have struggled for the independence of the colonial peoples of Africa. The other reason I'm here today, again, from the State Department and from the record of the Court of Appeals, is that when I am abroad, I speak out against injustices against the Negro people in this land. That is why I'm here. I'm not being tried for whether I'm a communist. I'm being tried for fighting for the rights of my people who are still second-class citizens in this country, in this United States of America. My mother was born in your state, and my mother was a Quaker. My ancestors, in the time of Washington, baked bread for George Washington's troops when they crossed the Delaware. My father was a slave. I stand here struggling for the rights of my people to be full citizens in this country. And we are not. We are not in Mississippi. We are not in Montgomery, Alabama. They're not in Washington. They are nowhere. And that is why I am here today. You want to shut up every Negro who has the courage to stand up and fight for the rights of his people, for the rights of workers. And I have been on many a picket line for the steel workers, too. And that is why I'm here today. Would you tell us whether or not you know Thomas W. Young? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Thomas W. Young is a Negro president of the Guide Publishing Company. I'd like to read you his testimony, quote, Paul Robeson has no moral right to place in jeopardy the welfare of the American Negro to advance a foreign cause. In the eyes of the Negro people, this false prophet is unfaithful to their country, and they repudiate him, close quote. Do you know the man that said that? I invoke the Fifth Amendment now. Can I read my statement? It is a sad and bitter comment. While you were in Paris in 1949, Mr. Robeson, did you tell an audience the American Negro would never go to war against the Soviet government? May I say that is slightly out of context. May I explain to you what I did say? I remember the speech very well. 2,000 students who came from populations that would range to six or 700 million people asked me to say in their name that they did not want war. 
No part of my speech in Paris says 15 million American Negroes would do anything. I said it was my feeling that the American people would struggle for peace. And that has been since underscored by the President of these United States. Now in passing, I said... Do you know any people who want war? Listen to me. I said it was unthinkable to me that any people could take up arms in the name of a man like Senator Eastland of Mississippi against anybody. Gentlemen, I still say that. This United States government should go to Mississippi and protect my people. That is what it should do. I lay before you, sir, an article. Quote, I am looking for full freedom, unquote, by Paul Robeson in The Worker. July 3rd, 1949, quote, I said it was unthinkable that the Negro people of America or elsewhere could be drawn into war with the Soviet Union. I repeat it with a hundredfold emphasis, they will not, close quote. And gentlemen, they have not. It is clear that no Americans are going to go to war with the Soviet Union. While you were in Stockholm, did you make a little speech? I made all kinds of speeches. Let me read you a quotation. Let me listen. Do so, please. I am a lawyer. It would be a revelation if you would listen to counsel. In good company, I usually listen. But you know, people wander around in such fancy places. You said, Mr. Robeson, and I quote, I belong to the American resistance movement, which fights against American imperialism, just as the resistance movement fought against Hitler. Just like those quote. Douglas and Harriet Tubman were underground railroaders and fighting for our freedom, you bet your life. I have to insist that you listen to these questions. I am listening. I quote further, why should the Negroes ever fight against the only nation in the world where racial Discrimination is prohibited, and where the people can live freely, never. They will never fight against either the Soviet Union or the people's democracies, close quote. Did you make that statement? I do not remember, but what is perfectly clear today is that 900 million people, other colored people, have told you they will not. 400 million in India and millions everywhere have told you well, that. This is after the question. He doesn't need to make a speech. Did you write an article that was published in the USSR Information Bulletin? Yes. Quote, I want to emphasize that only here in the Soviet Union did I feel that I was a real man with a capital M. Close I, quote. I would say... What is your name? Arendt. I am quite willing to answer the question. When I was a singer years ago, and this, this you... We'll have to listen to. I am listening. I am a bass singer, so for me, it was Chalyapin, the great Russian bass, not Caruso the tenor. I learned the Russian language to sing their songs. I wish you would listen now. Mr. Chairman, I ask you to direct the witness to answer the question. Just be fair with me. I ask for order. The great poet of Russia is of African blood. Well, let's not go so it far It is important to explain this. Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in Did 1934... You make that in Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. It was the first time I felt like a human being. Well, I do not feel the pressure of color as I feel it in this committee today. Why do you not stay in Russia? Because my father was a slave. And my people died to build this country. And I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you. And no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Is that clear? You are here because you are promoting the communist cause. I am here because I'm opposing the neo-fascist cause, which I see arising in these committees. Jefferson could be sitting here, and Frederick Douglass could be sitting here. Eugene Debs could be sitting here. Now, what prejudice are you talking about? You were graduated from Rutgers, and you were graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I remember seeing you play football at Lehigh. There was no prejudice against you. Just a moment. This is something I challenge very deeply, that the success of a few Negroes can make up for $700 a year for thousands of Negro families in the South. My father was a slave, and I have cousins who are sharecroppers. I do not see success in terms of myself. I have sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars for what I believe in. While you were in Moscow, Mr. Robeson, did you make a speech lauding Stalin? I can't remember. Have you recently changed what your mind about Stalin? Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union, and I won't argue with a representative of the people who, in building America, wasted the lives of my people. 
you are responsible, you and your forebears, for 60 to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations. Don't you ask me about anybody. I'm please. sure you wouldn't want to discuss with us the slave labor camps in the Nothing Soviet Union. Nothing could be built more on slavery than this society, I assure you. I would invite your attention to the Daily Worker of June 29, 1949, with reference to a get-together with you and Ben Davis, formerly communist councilman in New York. Do you know Ben One Davis? One of my dearest friends. He is as patriotic and American as can be. And you, gentlemen, are the non-patriots. Just a minute. You are the un-American. The hearing is now adjourned. I think it should be. I've endured all of this that I can. Can I read my statement? No! The meeting is adjourned! It should be. I'm overwhelmed. I'm beyond overwhelmed. Um, he put them on trial. That was going to be my first response as well. <laughs> it's okay. He put them on trial and they adjourned the meeting because they were losing. He's, I mean, for an individual black man, you have to see the picture of all the flashbulbs and all the hatred. Anti-communism is so tied with racism. And he made it clear that you're running slavery right now in the South. They couldn't know what to do with him. Everything they said, he turned on them. He's a lawyer. He's a revolutionary. He's a pro-communist. And one of his great statements is, well, I don't have to say anything. Everything he said. I had heard about this for a long time. I've heard it once or twice. I'm almost speechless how one man could turn a bunch of racists who, as you saw, did you know him? That's all they had. It's very important to understand something that in the 50s, there was a thing called naming names. Um, they would go to you and say, you don't have to say, well, you were in the Communist Party, but did you know Jerry Bernstein? And many of them were Jews. And then people would say, well, I knew Jerry Bernstein. Who else did you know? Well, I knew Abe Vigoda. Who else did you know? You would name names. You would get off and they'd go to them and say, based on this testimony, we're arresting you or driving you out of your job. One of the things that makes me sad about our show is how much work Jenny and I do and still have to say, I don't know who's out there. So we ask every week to send us something at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and channing at thestrategycenter.org because I love doing this show, even if it's just me and Channing listening to it. I mean it. Um, I'm deeply moved. When I grow up, I want to be like Paul Robeson. Yeah. I mean, my I had the same reaction to you as he put them on the trial right from the beginning. I mean, he came at them and said, why don't you have these people cross-examined <laughs> during being cross-examined? And, you know, it really is the testament to the history of organizing that we study here at Voices and at the Strategy Center, because we're always looking at organizers. Um, and, you know, you might hear a thing or two about some great people in other places, but here we look at their speeches. We read them line by line, and we try to follow their strategy, because what he did was a strategy, right? right? They thought they were bringing him to trial, but he had some really great points. Cross-examine them, right? He mentioned the slavery, right? He said, yeah, normally I do listen when I'm in good company, but obviously you're not good company, right? Um, there was one that I wrote down that I thought he was good. Oh, he says that I'm, I'm clear that I'm promoting the cause against neo-fascism, which I thought was a really great poignant, like, there you go, that's who you are. You think I'm up for the communists, and I might be. But actually, you're not even talking about your own neo-fascism. So I thought it's a great clip. And, you know, it, we'll get to the other fight in the in a few minutes, but it really is like a testament of how do you negotiate and argue with the, the actual system itself. And mainly, we're not yet in that much of a time when the system is coming at you and publicly tearing you down, although there's some recent events. But when you get to that time, are you even going to be ready? 
And that brings to mind just a conversation with my family. Like they asked me this Saturday, do you think these protests, do you think we're gonna get justice for these protests? Of course, my, my answer to them is, well, what is justice to you? And they couldn't answer. And they were like, I basically said, well, if you don't know what justice is, you certainly won't get it. <laughs> That's right. That's very good. Um, and I pointed them to go read to, uh, Franz Fernand's The Wretched of the Earth. And my brother is actually reading Ta Ta Tanahashi Coates. So, you know, that conversation was, I didn't intend to organize them, but they're now reading these political books. And, it, you know, it, we're in a time of great uprising. And during that time, it's got to be a time of great political education and great, you know, self-reflection and uprising of yourself, not just getting on the streets and saying, I want justice, as in what? You want that police officer arrested or do you want the whole system or do you even care? Well, I think that what, you know, the strategy center says that we are, uh, we have different things. We say we're building a black Latinx third world alliance against US colonialism, racism, and climate genocide. We do that in the uh, spirit of Paul Robeson of telling it like it is. We also say that we're pro-communist. We haven't been attacked by that yet, but it's not something I say lightly. Paul Robeson is at least a pro-communist. I don't think he ever was in the party. He didn't need to be in the party. He was supporting the party outside the party. So the stupid question, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I don't know. doesn't matter. But the point was the hatred of such a great man and the defiance now of Black Lives Matter. And you can see how hard it is to win things in this country. You can see why after we won the Civil Rights Act, they overturned it and where we are today. I want to end with one thing and then we'll go on to the discussion. We'll take a break. At this time, imagine 1949, the Major League Baseball has just allegedly integrated by bringing Jackie Robinson into baseball with a sea of white and then eventually there were more black players. And by the way, they're driving, there's only 8% black players now in the Major League Baseball. So the point is, Jackie Robinson was asked to testify against Paul Robeson. He was the hero because he was the single Negro who got into baseball. And right away, he was asked to essentially send another black man to prison if they could. He testified in a very complicated way. He said a lot of good things about Robeson, but he said it would be silly for anybody to follow him and we will fight for the United States. Many years later, near the end of his life, Robinson wrote in his autobiography about the incident. However, in those days, I had much more faith in the ultimate justice of the American white man than I have today. I would reject such an invitation if offered now. I've grown wiser and closer to the painful truths about America's destructiveness. And I do have increased respect for Paul Robeson, who over the span of 20 years sacrificed himself, his career, and the wealth and comfort he once enjoyed, because I believe he was sincerely trying to help his people. I don't know if you understand the significance of this, but I have often stood alone and looked at people and said, I'm morally right, there's nothing you can do, and say the most radical things I can. Many people have come up to me later in their life to say, I understand better what you're trying to do. So if you are, have any interest in being a black revolutionary in a serious way, come to the Labor Community Strategy Center, talk to us, info at thestrategycenter.org. But the first thing you have to understand is that a revolutionary is very strategic. A revolutionary is very theoretical, as you heard. A revolutionary is very calm and clear against the system. 
a revolutionary speaks against the system, as Channing said, against the system of capitalism and imperialism and neo-slavery inside the United States. We don't have as many black speakers yet speaking in the full tones of Paul Robeson. I urge everyone who's been in the street, everyone who has radical ideas against the system to go into the black communist tradition of Paul Robeson, W.E.B. Du Bois, Ben Davis, who was also mentioned, uh, William L. Patterson, who wrote um, Recharge Genocide, Louise Patterson, who was very active in the Communist Party, Harry Haywood and his book, Black Bolshevik. I really think the future of humanity is rooted significantly in the black communist tradition. And I would follow Paul Robeson anywhere. So hey everybody, you're back on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. I'm Eric Mann, the host. You're also going to listen to Channing Martinez, our producer and co-host during the show. We're broadcasting this remotely from the Soviet Union, where we work with other communists to uh, challenge U.S. imperialism. And we work with Paul Robeson and with um, W.B. Du Bois. So if you hear the tape, that's where it's coming from. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And they are not in the Soviet Union. So just if you want to attack somebody, attack me. So speaking of the Soviet Union and speaking of Black Liberation, speaking of Paul Robeson, we know that once again, the Red Sea has opened up for a moment in the white settler state. The killing of George Floyd in eight minutes and 46 seconds in living color, his screaming for his deceased mother, the white guy just, I don't know, just keeping a knee on the neck of a black man hearing him scream, hearing him say, I can't breathe, first of all, has generated the next wave of the Black Revolution. It happens more frequently than we think. It happens in Baltimore. It happens in Ferguson, Missouri, when Michael Brown was killed by police. As a revolutionary and historian, you never know when things are going to jump off. Why not it jumped off somewhat, Trayvon Martin. But this is an accumulation of abuses. I also want to say one thing to people to take seriously. I wonder if this would happen if Barack Obama was president. How much of this is encouraged by the Democratic Party because they're hoping to really get the black vote motivated, but and saying decent things about them and the CNN and MSNBC. And Trump, the more Trump goes crazy, the more they identify Trump as the opponent. But what if Barack Obama came out and said, hey, everybody, this is a terrible situation. I'm with you. I feel you. I was heartbroken over this. Go back and I'll take care of this. I don't know the answer, but I do know that the black revolutionary movement has to more aggressively challenge black Democrats. Now, in the middle of this sea opening up, the Labor Community Strategy Center has been having a campaign for five years about no police in the LAUSD, no police in the schools, no police on the buses and trains, free public transportation, no cars, no way and stop MTA attacks on black passengers. We need your help in the campaign now against the Los Angeles MTA, because we're gonna be moving our campaign with the hopefully the support of others. 
to call on the MTA immediately to stop enforcing fares because so many black people are getting tickets and arrests for so-called fare evasion, 60% at times, within 19% of the riders. And we want free public transportation. Right now, they're not doing it. We'll come back to that. But here's my point. This Strategy Center, in my opinion, is a visionary organization. Um, I think I'm a visionary. I've been trained in the black movement to be a visionary. I mean, I was in 1964 and black people said, we're gonna have a revolution. We're gonna overthrow the United States government. We're gonna have some black states. We'll be in alliance with Cuba and Russia and China and Africa. They believed in that. It was a vision. And they won a lot because they had that vision. So at the Strategy Center, when we say no cars, no hey, people go, what are you talking about? We say no police in the school. People say, oh, you don't really mean no police in the schools. We say, yes, we do. But let's be clear. The Labor Community Strategy Center yesterday, today, and tomorrow could never have won those demands. We're not strong enough. We don't have enough allies. We were holding the fort, you could say, for a larger movement that we had not been able to build. Very fortunately, due to the horrible death of George Floyd and the rise of Black Lives Matter, everything changed. So without Black Lives Matter, uh, we're not even having this conversation. Black Lives Matter immediately became the main force. Uh, Dr. Molina Abdullah is one of the leaders and they have built also white people for black lives. They're, they're big, they have members, they have discipline, they have organization. There's another organization called Students Deserve which is also very close to Black Lives Matter. It's also close to the United Teachers of Los Angeles. And they're organizing the OA schools with a lot of focus on black students. And the strategy center has what we call our taking action social justice clubs in the high schools. So they provided the mass struggle, they provided the line, they provided the power, they being Black Lives Matter LA and Students Deserve to say to the LAUSD, this is your time, defund, defund, defund. For every 10 people, we brought one. But we played a role too. First of all, we opened this door. We opened it, I'm saying it only to give credit where credit is due. We built consciousness around no police in the schools. We got the weapons out of the LAUSD. We stopped truancy tickets in the LAUSD. We stopped attacks for black students on what's called willful defiance, which simply means being a black boy. And that also set the terms because now people said, well, you did everything to defund the police. I'm sorry, you did everything to reform the police and the abuses continued. Of the many things that students said at the rally, black students, it did reinforce what we've been thinking, which is the police themselves are the abuse. Whether they're friendly, which is psychologically manipulative, whether they flirt with you, which is what many of the women students have told us, and then you have to flirt back, they say, otherwise the police will come down on you. One of the speakers said, you know, you don't understand. The police in the school mean not just I am underperforming, but that I don't want to go to school. I wake up in the morning, I don't want to go. And that was one of the things that was very compelling is the daily abuse, the daily occupation of police is worse than the specific crimes they carry out, which is also terrible. That was, to me, the decisive argument to get the police out of schools, that the police, by their very nature, are anti-black. The police by their very nature are anti-women and girls. The police by their very nature are anti-Latino. The police by their very nature are an occupying army in a school that doesn't want them there. So then we go to the vote. I was involved in some of the work representing, certainly students deserve, and brothers on selves because 
Maria Brenes of Inner City Struggle and myself were very close with Monica Garcia, who's been a real hero throughout and led the fight against the weapons in the school. When the Black Lives Matter explosion happened, they reached out as well. And we talked to Monica and, and she was saying, where do I start? What's the, you know, what's the, I want to come up with a really strong resolution. And we said, everybody is saying it must start at 50%. Cut them in half and then get them out. To our amazement, Monica went back and said, okay, 50, 75, and 90. Unbelievable. You don't understand the courage. That's not police reform. This is police negation, police out of the schools. Her motion shocked everybody, but it goes back to Paul Robeson. She set the terms of the debate, 50% and $35 million. Other people said, no, I don't want 50%. I want 37% and $20 million. But the point is she, like Paul Robeson, held the line on what the people deserve on the way to, to getting rid of the, basically phasing out the police. Through a process, we won't go into as much detail that yes, I was involved with, but we were told by the uh, organizations since um, Maria and Eric are, have a good relationship with Monica, we encourage you to encourage her to hold the ground. And obviously, <laughs> if you are a board member listening to those students, you should have had no problem holding your ground because they were begging and imploring you to get rid of the police altogether. Now, one of the things that happened between the first week and the second week is that Nick Melvoin, who had second Monica's motion and had voted for it, I wasn't sure if he did that out of courtesy for Monica because he, he knew she did not have four votes. And I don't mean that in any way bad. He was very generous towards her. But, but the next week, and listening to the testimony, he was in. He said, no, I'm at, I am at $35 million and 50%. Then we worked with Kelly Gomez. On the first vote, Kelly Gomez abstained. And some people said, well, she didn't have the guts to do one thing or the other. And I said, what, what are you talking about? An abstention was a vote in the direction of Monica. She was not going to vote no with the other board members. That abstention was an act of, of, of principle in some way, saying, I'm holding my opinion, but I'm not going to vote against this thing. Through many conversations, through many people, and listening to the students, Kelly Gona said, all right, I'm ready. And what she said was very interesting. She said, I don't want to do things when I'm not clear. I don't want to do things and then regret them either way. But the students made it clear to me, we need a 50% cut and a $30 million cut of their budget. The fourth board member was Jackie Goldberg who's been on the board for many years, went off the board, has come back. She is and was a very progressive person in the city. But at the time, when we had three votes for 35 million, she was holding on to 20 million and essentially saying, I won't vote for 35 million and that's what you want. You won't get your fourth vote. Through a lot of conversations, and you have to understand that all the people, the board members, are really human beings. Jackie was willing to cut $20 million, but how was her motion going to get together with Monica's motion? So Monica and Jackie did talk. And Jackie said, listen, I'm willing to go to 25. That meant a lot. You don't understand what that means. We needed Jackie to move towards Monica, Jackie to move towards Nick Melvoin, Jackie to move towards Kelly Gomez. If we accepted 20, which we might have had to do, it would have said, you have all these votes, but 20 is all you can get. It would not have been the same. I'll tell you, people will have said it's a victory, but it wouldn't have been. 
or it would have been a technical victory, but it meant that our movement was asked to go lower than we wanted to do. By Jackie moving up to 25 million, it was then became a principled compromise. We wish very much that she voted for the 50% and 35 million, but that was a motion we could accept, and I'm speaking for Monica, that Monica could accept. So Monica came back and said, all right, Jackie's gonna introduce an amendment to my motion. I'm gonna introduce a motion for 35 million and 50%. Jackie's gonna introduce a friendly amendment for $25 million and 37% of the cut. A friendly men, amendment meant that Monica was saying, yes, Jackie's motion is friendly because we've worked this out and I'm accepting it because this is a step forward. So there was a graciousness on both parts. The motion went to 25 and then we had four votes for $25 million cut, but they didn't go to the vote. And if you go back and if you're streaming live, this was the craziest meeting. I mean, this is board members allowed to speak with no time limits, and sure they did. George McKenna is a black man, a very intelligent black man, who does not support any criticism of the police. I should say that's not fair. Does not support any reduction in the police budget. He went on and on, but he was pretty interesting. And he was saying, I've been a principal, I've been in the black community, I want the police here. And then um, Richard Vladovic, who's a moderate liberal, and Scott Shermelson, who was, I don't know what he is, was so hostile. I mean, they were saying no cuts. It's different. George McKenna is a highly respected and even loved black man in the black community. The Strategy Center has never agreed with his politics. We've talked to him forever. During the fight over getting the weapons out, he said, well, if you gave me a drone, I'd use it. He is a law and order black man, but he's still a black man. And we do not equate his politics at all to that of Charleston and Vladovic. When it was passed, finally, by a vote of four to three, the two white board members who voted against it went on a tirade. Now we're going to have crime. You people, what are you going to do? Burn down? You're going to burn down everything? They're going to be dangerous. There's going to be so much crime. It was like, what? It sounded like the White Citizens Council. And um, the rage of the white men. I was listening to, I, watching with my wife, Leanne, and we both said, this is the rage of Trump. This is the Democrats that will go to Trump, I swear, on issues of race. So let me conclude with this. We owe everything to George Floyd. We owe everything to Black Lives Matter and to Students Deserve. The Strategy Center knows how to work in a coalition, respect the work of others, give credit where credit is due, and still be able to play a very constructive role. And I think that in the work of getting the votes, I wanna thank Alice Caputo Pearl of United Teachers of Los Angeles, and Maria Brenes, my partner uh, from Inner City Struggle. Of course, Monica Garcia, Orea Montez Rodriguez from Community Coalition, and constantly in touch with Black Lives Matter and Students Deserve. It was pretty terrific. Now the question is, are you gonna stay involved? Are you gonna do anything besides say it was great? Because the police are already organizing. Uh, there's an old story that the uh, hunter is out and he, uh, this lion jumps over him and over jumps him and he shoots the lion and he misses him. So the next day, the hunter's out in the jungle and he sees the lion. He's doing target practice to see if he can shoot better. And he oversees the lion practicing shorter jumps. The point is the war goes on. If you're interested in working with us, reach out to us, especially 
we're looking for black interns, for black organizers and training, black media people that do social media. We're looking for black people who are very familiar with black history and Pan-African history and world history. We're interested in black applicants who have a background in film management and can help us run the strategy of Seoul Film Theater. We have a unique opportunity to hire three or four people beginning with an internship and it could lead to something long-term. If you're interested, write info at thestrategycenter.org and Channing Martinez and I will be in touch with you. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And in the spirit of Paul Robeson, I particularly want to thank Malina Abdullah and uh, Joseph Williams for the leadership that they provided in this movement. So I have a question, Channing. Yeah. You were there, you were in the boardroom. What was it like being there for 14 hours? What did you do politically? Because you got a lot of credit for holding things together, but I don't know what you were holding together because I wasn't there. Well, uh, I hate to start with the joke, but it was cold in that boardroom. My God. So I, ma I mainly shivered. No. Um, <laughs> you know, I did a lot of the inside coalitional and partnership work uh, in holding the group together even before the board meeting. Um, and so really pushing the group and encouraging the group to do something outrageous um, and not to just show up you know, and have a little press conference and hope for the best. But if, if we just had, and this is last week. So as Eric mentioned, this is a whole two and three week struggle. And, you know, the week before they, all three motions, one of which I don't even recognize failed. Um, and Monica Garcia, give her credit. She came back the next week and said, all right, let's try something new. And we discussed it and we had a new strategy to, to introduce a board amendment. So what I did the week prior was to get people excited about it, that look at, there's not elected officials coming to groups, first of all, that are this enthusiastic, that did something so revolutionary, didn't just say, oh, all right, we failed. She came back the next week and said, well, let's do something revolutionary again. <laughs> Um, with a 50% cut, right? Um, and so I did a lot of the work of organizing the, a lot of the groups and main organizers to really get excited about one Monica Garcia and really show her support. Whether you think that you're going to go or not, she's going to introduce this bill. And if we're, we're as a movement saying no police in the schools, it'll look terrible if we just decide to not show up to the boardroom. Um, so we showed up really big, about 300 people outside the board. A few of us showed up. I showed up at 5.30 a.m. I was the first person in line. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is because uh, last, the week before, the police showed up at 5 a.m. And they, were, they already had 30 people in line. And so I wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to happen, that, would, that we weren't we're not playing that crap anymore. <laughs> um, and luckily, they, they, I guess they assumed that we weren't coming. And so they didn't show up until about 9.30. And they were number 50 in line or something like that. A lot of the work was before the meeting. The day of the meeting was mainly giving a speech and organizing a rally outside of the board for a couple of hours with about two or 300 people. And then going back in, mainly the smaller group of folks about, you know, no more than 10 folks um, to work with Monica Garcia and to support her inside the boardroom. Um, and so there is a lot of things that were going, you know, we were, there was a lot of negotiations going on even during the boardroom to figure out, okay, we hear your concerns, Jackie Goldberg, and what about this, right? And so really addressing each person as a human being with real concerns, because, you know, she, Jackie Goldberg is a, as many people on this station know, she's a 
pretty popular progressive in the city, right? And so for her to just resist things, she's not being racist. She has real concerns. And so we have to address those. Well, that's on our last point. That's really important because um, I was just asked today if the strategy center plays an inside outside strategy, which, but I said, no, we have one strategy. We're not inside behind the scenes or outside protesting. It's a dialectic. We, we put out leaflets, we do shows, we meet with elected officials, but the th go back to the thing you said about realizing they're human beings and there's still negotiation involved. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is political mapping is everything really understanding the forces and really understanding everything that's going on. And elected officials represent tons and tons of people. That's one thing I learned inside running for LA City Council. Not everyone came out to support me when I said cut the LAPD budget by 50%. In fact, I got somewhere around five or 10 threatening notes saying, go to hell and you should just go die if you think you're going to cut the LAPD budget. I had to deal with that and still go out the next day and say, cut the LAPD budget. So it does give a lot of credit to Monica Garcia as a really popular board member in the second largest school district in the entire country to say, I am going against the police state in a real way. I can't imagine the types of things that she was going through over the last two weeks. And then furthermore, it does give a lot of credit to Jackie Goldberg, to, uh, sorry, to Kelly Gonez and Nick Melvoin, who represent very conservative districts with lots and lots of white people that love the police. And if you can imagine, people are doing crazy things. Or, I mean, they're showing up to people's houses. You have no idea what's going to happen to them for standing up against the police, right? And so there are real concerns that they have. Um, that you have to address. And mainly she's saying, well, we can't just, you know, 100% cut right off the back because rightfully so, there are people in my district who are worried about the safety of the schools. And it is a real thing, right? Um, it does speak to a larger systematic problem of the violence in the ghetto, right? And, you know, a lot of that was talked about France Fanon being reflected as, uh, what do you say, as the violence of the system, right? Um, but in, in the short term, you have to address that, right? Well, I think the, the conclusion for me of this is that all of us have to be courageous in our own way. I mean, I think I may really play the Paul Robeson tape every night because he's the model. When Channing said, I ran for city council in the 10th district, and I said, cut the police by 50%. And then I got threatening notes. I went back and said, cut the LAPD budget by 50%. That's a form of integrity and courage. When Mono Garcia, Monica Garcia introduced a motion for 30 million and 50%, and there's a lot of pressure and there's, there's actually billboards against her. One reason that you all have in common is your movement people. Paul Robeson was part of the movement. Monica Garcia comes out of the movement. And Channing Martinez is one of the really important young black leaders of the movement, in my opinion. All of us has to confront issues of courage. God bless you, Paul Robeson. And uh, yeah, God bless you, Monica Garcia. You did great. You got to understand the full seriousness of when the... Chamberlain was asked, so what are you going to do now? We cut your budget by 37%. He said, well, you're not going to get any night service. If people attack your building, I can't protect the building. He sort of tried to, you know, say, what do you want from me? You cut my budget. But the main thing is the next day he resigned because he realized there was a terrible vote of no confidence in the LASPD, and that's one of the greatest things we have learned, if you have courage, if you want to work in the black community, and yes, the Latino, Latino community, especially if you're black right now, contact us at info at thestrategycenter.org and Channing Martinez and myself will reach out and see if we can make a connection. 
Thanks, everybody. Nina Simone, please take us out. And now, the end is near. And so I got to face the final curtain. Friends, I'll say it clear and state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full of travel each and every highway and more, much more than this. Had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I.